Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. During all these travels and stuff like that, I met a lot of different craftspeople and a lot of different people that work with their hands and, and artists. And I thought, man, it'd be a really cool television show, you know, to, to showcase all these different people that make so many cool things and and to show people that you know craftsmanship is alive and well today it's just you don't really see that anymore and um because you know oftentimes television is is all about ratings and drama and they don't give a shit about craftsmanship they just want drama they want yelling and screaming and arguing and fires and anything that, you know, captures attention. They don't really want to showcase craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that'd be awesome to do that. So that's where the idea for uh, Craftsman's Legacy started. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. 
As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Eric, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it is really cool to have you here. So I was actually introduced to you by way of your publicist who uh, told me a bit about your story and the fact that you took a hobby, turned into a business, which subsequently was turned into a television show, uh, all of which we will get into. But I want to start by asking, um, what did your parents do for a living? And uh, how did that end up influencing the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Sure, yeah. So, uh, you know, my... My mom was sort of a stay-at-home mom for a large part of my life. Um, she worked as I got older, as my brother and I got a little older. Um, and my dad uh, was a bit of an entrepreneur himself. You know, he was really – he did all kinds of stuff, but oftentimes he had his own business uh, in one way or the other. Um, and ultimately uh, ended up as a financial consultant. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, I learned a lot, you know, um, I think the fact that my parents, my dad was always the guy that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, you constantly have to put all your chips out on the table over and over and over again, you know, and then hopefully you get to a point where you don't have to do that as often and you can sort of hold back some of your chips. But my old man was sort of like the guy that just constantly put it all in everything he got into, he got into 100% and he always went all in on everything. Um, so, you know, as a kid, um, I got to see, the pros and cons of that, you know, I got to see the good of it and the, and the bad of it, you know, when, when businesses failed or, you know, something happened, uh, I can remember my dad being unemployed, uh, on and off over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, them having to, to sell things and, you know, churn money. And as a kid, you don't really know that's what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, like it really didn't impact my life directly all the time but looking back at it now i can tell that's exactly what was going on you know um but my dad was also a very hands-on guy and i think that's where i got my attitude towards working with your hands from is from my dad and and my grandfather my mom's dad Mm -hmm. Uh, he was a a carpenter for a living so Mm. and what about your mom my mom was uh, was a mom, you know. She was she was a great mom. She was pretty tough though; like she didn't put up with any BS. <laughs> so, uh, she was uh, she was an awesome lady. She, rest in peace. Mm. I miss her very much. So, how did the experience of seeing um, your dad kind of go from you know having money to not having money? How did that inform your entire perspective on on money and the meaning of of what your work would be later in your adult life? I didn't really look at it that way, you know, like, uh, because when I was a kid, first of all, around our house, like we never, ever hired anybody to do anything. It was super rare if there was a, uh, tradesman at the house because my dad was really skilled. He was really mechanical and, uh, and my grandfather was too. So you know, there wasn't anything around the house that we didn't handle ourselves. I mean, everything from cement work to, you know, uh, brick work to roughing, finishing, you know, everything and anything we, we would handle ourselves. Um, 
and it was really like uh, very like specialized things like installing carpet. You know, we would keep call a company in for that, but tile work we did ourselves. So growing up, uh, and I loved doing that stuff. I loved working with my hands. I loved making things. And even as a, as a, as a super young kid, you know, four or five years old, I can remember, uh, you know, my old man would give me, uh, some nails and a hammer and some chunks of two by four or two by six or, you know, three quarter ply or whatever was laying around. And, uh, I would just nail, uh, stuff together, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, it, so that was really not an uncommon thing for me. And then, uh, as we got older, uh, my dad was, uh, into, uh, landscaping and, and, uh, he started a fertilizing company, uh, at a time when it was very, uh, it wasn't as regulated as it, as it is today. So, you know, we had trucks at the house all the time for repair. And, um, eventually, he, you know, bought a nursery and then had the, you know, had this, this company that was a nursery and, and, um, lawn fertilizing and landscaping and the whole thing. And, and I worked there, you know, on Saturdays, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like eight years old, but my job was, uh, cutting, uh, firewood in the fall and in the winter, uh, with, you know, chainsaws and long splitters. And then, uh, in the summertime I worked there more often and, and it was, you know, helping, uh, customers and carrying shrubs and, you know, whatever I could drag along as a 18, eight, eight to 10 year old boy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I learned a lot about hard work, you know, and that nothing's free and that you, get what you put in. You know what I mean? The harder you work, the more you get out. Um, and I, and that still carries through to me today. You know, I, I, I think I've always had a very strong work ethic and that's, that's one of the things that I really got, uh, from my parents the most is to don't ever give up and don't let anybody else tell you what you can and cannot do. Mm Mm-hmm. So walk me through, um, how you get to the point of, uh, a craftsman's legacy, like walk me through the journey from, you know, your actual career to how you ended up here. Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> it's a bit of a long winded story, but, uh, originally, you know, I was never really good in school when I was a kid. I, I, I just never applied myself. I, I didn't care for it much. Uh, I, found it really boring and, and I fell behind in classes and then, you know, I was a slacker, uh, in schoolwork, you know what I mean? So when college was coming around, you know, my grades were horrible and, uh, I started working for Xerox when I was 16 as a stock boy. And, uh, I went to community college a little bit after I graduated, but I stayed at Xerox and I was literally, you know, eventually I wasn't a stock boy and I started making copies and I was, you know, moving on up, but I was making copies. And, um, but I, I always wanted to continue to move up in the company. Um, so, you know, over time I would, I would get into different positions and different things, but, um, the biggest change happened when, when I was there, Xerox was moving from an analog environment to a digital environment. So instead of a photocopy, it was a, a scanned and printed image, you know, and I was a computer geek. I was a, I was way into computers when I was a kid. And even when we couldn't afford them, you know, there was uh, some at school and my friends had them. And eventually I, my parents got me one when I was younger and I was really, really into computers. So when Xerox transition transitioned into this environment, I was familiar with Unix, uh, at that time. And, uh, they had all this equipment laying there and I just set it up one night and, uh, you know, was playing around with it and stuff. And I was working nights and I, I was just screwing around with those computer systems all the time. So I was at the right place at the right time. And, they needed, you know, somebody with a technical background. And, 
I didn't have the schooling that all the other applicants had, but I had the passion, the interest, and I, I'd been with the company by that time for a little bit. And, uh, so they gave the job to me and, and I became a tech consultant and I traveled around a lot more and got more involved with, you know, all kinds of different things within Xerox. And, and I liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of problem solving and, you know, it was just a, a fun time, you know, to be at that company, a lot of fun. Um, everything's moving along great. And then, uh, uh, all of a sudden I start, uh, developing a panic disorder and, uh, the very first attack I had, uh, I was scuba diving with my brother, um, in, in Bonaire and, uh, I was about 80 feet down and I had a panic attack. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it scared the hell out of me, you know? And I, I literally, you know, shot up to the surface, um, and I did, I was able to control my breathing a little bit and, and, and realize to, to, to stop, you know, around 25, 30 feet to, to, uh, let my, let the nitrogen, uh, out of my bloodstream, you know? Um, and then I, I went up to the top and I didn't know what the hell happened, you know, but it was something I didn't enjoy. Um, and it shook me up, you know, and, and, uh, so I did a little bit more diving on that trip and I came home. And then, uh, shortly after that, a couple months later, I had to fly down to Texas for Xerox. And when I was down there, I started having a lot of attacks on a very regular basis. Like, you know, I was having more and more and more of them. And then when I got home from, from that trip, you know, after that, I didn't fly for another five years, you know, and, and the attacks got to the point where, um, my world started to shrink at a very rapid pace. So in a matter of four months, uh, I went from just being, you know, a regular dude in his twenties to being pretty much agoraphobic. You know, I, I didn't leave my house. Uh, I was on disability with the company and, uh, was heavily medicated, heavily medicated to the point where cutting my lawn was an all day event because I couldn't concentrate long enough to do anything, you know? And, uh, uh, so, <clears throat> you know, my world got sort of dark at that time in some ways, you know, cause you don't know what the hell's going on. You think you're going to die. You know, quite honestly, you think you're having a heart attack, you know, three times a day, four times a day, or, you know, you're just, you're freaking out, you know, and, and I'm not a big, I don't like taking a lot of pills, especially those kind of pills, because they really alter your state of mind and your, your body and everything else. So, um, I was very resistant to it until, uh, until I got taken to the hospital and then they, they don't give you a choice there. They just sort of start popping you full of stuff to calm you down. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so when that happened to me, I spent a lot of time working on motorcycles. I had motorcycles myself and I, I loved riding and I loved working on them. I liked the mechanical aspect of them. I really wanted to get into learning more about them, learning how to build them, you know, how to, how to shape metal to, to make something, you know, to make a fuel tank or anything. And, uh, as I started to, to get back on, on the road and, and recover and get back to, you know, living a normal life, leaving my house, driving, all the normal things that people do, um, I found a metal shaper uh, who lived right by my house. He wasn't far away at all. And uh, I had already owned his books and read them. For some reason, the whole dots didn't connect for me initially in <laughs> So I met Ron uh, Fournier and, um, I would go over there and, uh, after about a year of, of going over there on a regular basis saying hi and, you know, talking to him and, and getting to know each other, we, we became friends, you know, and, uh, and he was, uh, older, but, um, 
he took a shining to me. You know, he, he did that with a, with a lot of people. You know, anybody that was really interested in metalworking, he'd sort of take you in and, and help you learn. Um, so he said, hey, you know, I'm looking for a new apprentice. And uh, so I took that job and uh, started sweeping floors. And, and he taught me how to TIG weld properly and gas weld properly and how to shape metal and, you know. And then uh, his business took a turn for the worse. And he said, well, I got to let you go. And uh, I said, well, how about if I work here for free? I'll, I'll help you out. Uh, as long as you keep teaching me. And, uh, so we struck up that deal and, uh, he said, you know, if you, if you want to sell, uh, some services yourself, build the motorcycle parts and use our equipment here, uh, you could do that at night. And I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. He said, I'll, I'll, you know, guide you and help you how I can. Uh, and that went on like that for a little while, you know? And then, uh, I started Voodoo Choppers, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you know, really, really bad off, uh, a friend of mine actually said to me, he said, what, you know, if you could do anything with your life and it didn't, money didn't matter and skills didn't matter, what would you do? And I said, I'd, I'd make things. And, uh, he was like, well, what, what would you make? And I said, I don't know. I like working with wood, but I'd really like to learn how to work with metal. I like flames. You know, I love torches and things like that. And uh, he was like, well, maybe that's what you need to be doing. You know, stop fighting everything else and, and uh, just don't worry about it. Just do what makes you feel right and feel good. You know, gives you a sense of purpose, I guess. So uh, the story's a little out of order there in, in some ways, but uh, that's sort of how it all came down. So I started Voodoo Choppers. And, uh, you know, Ron and I worked together for a couple of years, uh, at his place. And then over at my place, he shut down his business and I, I rented out a commercial space, which quite frankly was <laughs> completely ridiculous because I had very little business coming in. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, uh, I was, but I was growing out of my shop, my home shop. You know, I wanted more equipment. I wanted to do more things. I didn't have the space. And, uh, my, my dad pushed me and he said, go find a commercial building and rent it. And I didn't have the money. I took a loan out, dude, for, uh, 20,000 bucks. And, uh, I rented a space and bought equipment and opened, uh, opened up Voodoo Choppers. And, uh, I drove around and cold called. I took my, my wares, you know, I took a fender and a fuel tank and stuff like that. I take it to different bike shops and I'd say, Hey, uh, this is what I do. I'm not selling parts. I'm not, you know, in, in, in impeding on your business in any way, but I want to help you. I want to, you know, do you have any uh, projects that might need, uh, some, a special, you know, fuel tank or a fender. And at this time, you know, this was in the, in the, in 99, 2000 timeframe. So, uh, in the motorcycle industry, the aftermarket was, was, was huge, you know, aftermarket, meaning you could, you could go to a shop, open up a catalog and build an entire motorcycle from aftermarket parts, not, not, you know, OEM parts, but, um, you could get fuel tanks and fenders and everything else, but there wasn't a whole lot of people, uh, that were hand making, fuel tanks and fenders, uh, like there is today, you know? So I had a lot of no's, uh, all but one, actually one guy said, yeah, I'm working on a bike for myself. I'd love to do that. And, uh, you know, I took a beating on price, but I did the work and I learned a lot and, uh, and that's how that started, mm. you know? And then things just went from there. You know, I, I, I was at the shop all the time, seven days a week, all the time, 12, 14 hour days. And it was like that for, you know, quite some time. First few years, it was like that. And, uh, I reinvested into the company. You know, I just, 
bought more and more equipment, more machinery. I wanted to be able to do everything myself. I didn't want to have to hire out, you know, or the, the only thing I didn't want to do was paint. So I don't, I don't like chemicals and, and uh, composite materials and stuff like that. There's, I just don't like dealing with them. I, I don't dig it. Mm. Uh, so, uh, everything else I just went after myself, you know, and, uh, we got to do, uh, um, biker build off in the, uh, mid two thousands was, was pretty popular. And, uh, we got invited to do a, a biker build off show on discovery channel. And, uh, I, I loved doing that. That was awesome. It was massive. And that didn't, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you were on TV. Like, you know, people must be beating down the door to get to you. And that wasn't really the case. But what it did do was bring name recognition. More people knew of Voodoo Choppers. More people had heard of of the shop and my name. Um, so that brought credibility, you know, and, and started to build a reputation outside of Michigan. Um, and outside of the Detroit area for me. So it just sort of built from there, you know, and it was, it was literally one penny at a time type of thing. Um, I can remember tra- I was traveling. We, we used to do a ton of shows and, uh, I was traveling home from, I don't know, somewhere. And, uh, there was three of us in the car I had no money. Like I had just enough money to get gas to get us home, but no money for food, nothing, you know, nothing else. And, uh, I, you know, scrounged up some change in the truck and, uh, literally like, you know, I don't know, seven bucks or something like that, or six bucks, or I forget exactly how much it was, but it was, it was just a handful of change, man. And we pull up in there and it's, we went to a McDonald's. It was late at night, you know, dark out. And, and uh, I go in to start ordering a couple things off the dollar menu. And uh, the manager walked up to me and he goes, uh, hey, man, those guys built some badass bikes. And I, I said, well, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And I had my a voodoo hat on and I didn't, I forgot, I guess I had a voodoo hat on or maybe with my jacket or something. He's like, voodoo, man, those guys built badass bikes. Do you, do you have one? And I said, I said, uh, no, I, 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 you know, own the company. And he goes, get out of town. Are you kidding me? And I said, no, he goes, man, I, I didn't even recognize you. I saw that show and blah, blah. He went nuts, man. And I'll tell you what, that guy saved my ass because he was like, Order what you want. Uh, will you take some pictures and sign some autographs? And I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we were able to get a couple more dollar menu items. You know, I, I don't, I didn't take advantage of the situation, but I definitely uh, got a couple of cheeseburgers. You know, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it was just crazy, man. It's like, you know, there's plenty of opportunity to say no more, but you just got to keep at it and, and keep. Uh, keep hammering away uh-huh. so to to get to your your question about how legacy started during all these travels and stuff like that i met a lot of different craftspeople and a lot of different people that work with their hands and and artists and i thought man it'd be a really cool television show you know to to showcase all these different people that make so many cool things and and to show people that you know, craftsmanship is alive and well today. It's just, you don't really see that anymore. And, um, because, you know, oftentimes television is, is all about ratings and drama and they don't give a shit about craftsmanship. They just want drama. They want yelling and screaming and arguing and fires and anything that, you know, captures attention. They don't really want to showcase craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that'd be awesome to do that. So that's where the idea for uh, craftsman's legacy started. Mm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. Okay. Uh, so many questions uh, <laughs> come from this. Uh, you know, the, the period in, in which you started to have the panic attacks and, and sort of become agoraphobic, how how did you not lose hope during that period? Oh, hell, I did, man. Many times. Yeah. You know, yeah, hell yeah. Many times. I thought I was going to be crazy the rest of my life, dude. Like, honestly, I didn't know what the hell was going to happen to me. It, every, it was it, it, it wasn't day by day. It was hour by hour, man. It was like, you know, cause, cause what happens is, is that, you know, you're walking through life and you're going to the grocery store, you have a panic attack at the grocery store, not going there anymore. You're driving along, you have a panic attack on I-75, got to stay off I-75. You know, I mean, that's what starts happening to you. So you start having attacks and you associate a place with that attack or a feeling with that attack or a sense, you know, like it's cold outside or it's hot or whatever, you know, you start having these associations in your head that, that that's what's triggering the attack. And that's the last thing you want to do. You're like, uh, uh-uh, don't want to do that anymore. That scared the shit out of me. So you stop going to those places. And then soon enough, like I said, literally within four months, I, I was very agoraphobic to the point where, uh, I didn't eat by myself. Somebody would have to come and and have a meal with me. I didn't like, uh, you know, 
I, I had a, a great fear of choking. So eventually my meals just became shakes, milkshakes. I had milkshakes all the time. And, you know, occasionally I'd have like a, a sandwich or a grilled cheese sandwich. I lost about 45 pounds. So I weighed about 140 pounds like in the, in the deep of it, you know, and I'm a six, I'm six, four or five. Mm. So I'm a pretty big guy to weigh 140 pounds. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I see pictures of myself back then and it's, it's, it's pretty messy. You know, my eyes are real sunken and yeah. I was, you know, <laughs> not the healthy stable staple that I am today. Mm. <laughs> So in those early early days, um, you know, two questions about it. One, do you think that there's something in particular about working with your hands that helped you navigate uh, this challenging period? And then the other thing that I think was really interesting, as you said, you know, like the first customer that you had, you kind of, you know, you didn't even really make money on it. Like in that moment when you've, you know, taken out a $20,000 loan um, and you're struggling just to find customers, like you got, you know, literally you got nothing but no's and just one yes. Like how do you, how do you persist during those periods? Because you want it. You know, persistence is really the key. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it really truly is persistence. Everything in life is about persistence. You know, if, if you can't understand or get to the point in life where you realize that, you know, it's pretty rare when somebody just walks up to you and says, Hey, here you go. Here's an opportunity. You know, I mean, you gotta be willing to go out there and just be persistent, not be mean just persistent. Like not every, you're not going to fit everybody. And I, I tell people that today, you know, like I'm not for everybody. I'm not the right builder for everybody, for everything. You know, I had a guy walk in the other day, asked me, uh, he wanted some stuff made. And he said he was, he kept using the word cheap, cheap, cheap. And I said, dude, I don't know how you got to my shop, but that's not a word that's really thrown around around here. Like that I'm not known for that. And it's not because uh, I, I'm not fair and, and equitable, but I, I'm not cheap. I'm not a cheap builder. You know, uh, like it's expensive what we do cause we work with our hands and things take time, you know, and, and, uh, it's just sort of how it is, you know, but, um, it's all about persistence. Yeah. Yeah. You get constantly kicked, you know, I mean, There's nothing, uh, I always say, you know, it's when you, when you're going after something that you really wanted, you know, something you believe in and you're going after it, you're going to find a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people that are, that are going to tell you why you can't do it and that you shouldn't do it and that it's a bad idea and that you can't do it. There, there's going to be an endless amount of people that are going to tell you that, but that doesn't, you know. It's not always something you need to listen to, you know, if you believe in yourself and you believe that, that you can do it, you'll, you'll find a way to get it done. Mm -hmm. So let's spend the rest of our time talking about this sort of notion of craft and, and working with our hands. Um, one, you know, why is it so rewarding? Um, what, what actually goes into it? Like what do people who are are masters of their craft and in the various areas you've seen, like, what do they have in common that allows them to be so good at what they do? And what can people who are listening take away from that? Again, persistence is huge. The willingness to learn from mistakes is another thing. You know, you asked me, like, what was it about working with my hands that uh, allowed me to, uh, that helped me? And every single craftsman that we've had on the show and that I've talked to will tell you the same thing. You know, when, when you are creating and you're working with your hands and you know whether you're working with wood or you're you know creating on a computer or what you sort of find this this place in time you know and your your mind sort of goes there and you you get into this this it's like your own world you know your your only goal at that moment is to 
do what you're doing and create and, and, and make it better than it was last time you did it. And that's what's driving you, you know, and it's not about knowing everything or knowing all the answers. It's about learning and understanding the opportunities to learn. You know, that was a huge thing in, in, in my career as a metal shaper was when do you stop working on a piece? Mm -hmm. You know? And, and I think that everybody that we've had on the show would also tell you that, you know, you have to understand when, when it's time to stop working on that piece and move on to a new piece, you know, because as an artist or as a craftsman, you, you're suiting, you're, you're, you're trying to gain perfection, right? You want it to be perfect. You want it to be fully symmetrical. You want it to be like, you know, you want it to look like a machine made it like it's just absolute perfection, but that's not obtainable. You know, when you're creating by hand, perfect symmetry, perfect perfection is not obtainable. There's always blemishes. There's always an area that you might not be a hundred percent satisfied with. And that's sort of part of working with your hands, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, but as you become better at things, that amount of uh, blemish or that uh, amount of symmetry starts to diminish, and eventually, it'll get to a point where you can you know where the problem areas are, but nobody else would ever see it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I don't know if I answer your question. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it, it reminds me—it reminds me quite a bit of the process of writing a book in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. Sure. You know, because you know you you you're lost in your own space. You know, and that's a great place to be. And that's what's you know really helped me out over time is that ability to find that moment and get lost in that moment. And sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes it's really hard because you got a million other things on your plate. You know, your, your to-do list is like overflowing with stuff that you should be doing or you're supposed to be doing. But sometimes what you really need to be doing is, is making things or creating, at least for me, because it really helps me understand things better and, and, uh, put things in perspective, you know? Mm-hmm. So, being at the point where uh, this has turned into a TV show, has it changed your relationship with your work at all? Like where you have this sort of, of stature and, and notoriety? Um, no, I, I think I understand what you're asking me, but I really, I don't really look at it like that. Like I'm the only difference between me now and me, you know, 10 years ago is that I'm, probably a little bit better craftsman. Um, but you know, I still struggle all the time with things, you know, and everything, you know what I mean? So, uh, the impact for working with my hands has been that I can't bring on as much work as I used to, you know, now I have to be, I'm a way more selective about the work and I, and I just tell people up front, like, listen, dude, uh, this is what I got going on right now, but, uh, you know, if you're still interested in, in, you know, six months or four months or however, however far out it is, please let me know. And I'm more than happy to help you. Uh, and if you, if you're not, if you have to go somewhere else, that's totally cool. I get it. But I, I don't want to upset people. You know what I mean? Like you, you bring in too much work and then you can't get it done, man. It just makes everybody mad. And then it puts a ton of pressure on you. You know what I mean? Cause I feel horrible missing deadlines or, you know, not making a deadline. I, there's, that's a terrible feeling to call somebody up and say, Hey dude, I know I said your bike was going to be done, uh, this month, but I, I'm way behind. Mm. I hate that. I hate doing that, mm. but it happens. One other question for you. I mean, it's interesting. We're talking about craft and, and the value of making things with our hands. And yet, you know, it, what's interesting is is that seems to be less and less part of our world as we get through, you know, to, to like automation and technology. So, like, what are the implications of all of that for people who are craftsmen? Well, it, you know, it's sort of a 
it's a much bigger implication uh, on on us as a society than it, than just for craftsmen. You know, craftsmen understand. I believe, you know, we understand the value of handmade things, mm-hmm. right? We understand what it means and and what it has and uh, what that item is, but when you know we're at a point now where everything is very limited lifespan and uh and an instant gratification you know what i mean like you can go online and order anything you can buy anything you want online you don't have to wait sometimes you don't even have to wait a, a day you know they can get stuff the same day online that's ridiculous you know and but it really, I think, messes with our perception of value in time. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, we're, we're losing so many skills and so much knowledge we're losing because it's not being passed on because there's nobody there to pass it on to necessarily. Sometimes there's nobody there to pass the information on to. And then that, that information dies with that person that has it, you know, a craftsman's a, a key holder in a way, you know, it's, it's their responsibility to, to make sure that that knowledge moves on to the next generation or to another group of people so that they can keep that alive. Mm-hmm. You know, think about how many things that we've lost in time because, there was nobody there to pass it on to, you know, or somebody didn't want to pass it on to you because they, they thought it was their proprietary knowledge, you know, that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, this has been really, really fascinating and uh, interesting. So I have one last question for you, which is how we yeah, finish yeah, yeah. all of our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do I think it is that makes somebody unmistakable? Or something unmistakable? Well, that's a good question. I, I think everybody's unmistakable. I really do. Like, I think we as people have gotten to a point where we just put up so many roadblocks in our lives. Um, and we don't even know we're doing it, you know? And, and it's not necessary. So many people are like, oh, man, I wish I could do that. I'm like, dude, you totally can do that. All you got to do is put some time into it. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's out of your reach, you know. And to me, that's what makes us un- unmistakable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with the listeners. Where can people learn more about uh, the work that you do? Uh, so online, you can uh, go to craftsmanslegacy.com uh, for the television show, and you can watch free episodes and all that jazz. There's plenty of branded merchandise up there, too. And then uh, you can find out about Voodoo Choppers at voodoochoppers.com and you know social media. You can follow both brands uh and myself on social media um you know or you can reach out and call a lot of people just call (laughs) awesome which is cool or they stop by the shop very cool uh and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that thank you for listening to this episode of the unmistakable creative podcast while you were listening were there any moments you found fascinating inspiring instructive maybe even heartwarming Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.